Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 483. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am your host, Jacob Paulson. I'm joined today by co-host Matthew Marister. Hello, Welcome hello. Matthew. How are you doing, Jacob? Just fine. If for those of you, if you could see our video cameras, you would know I'm sitting in my home office office in Colorado, and behind me, I got two big American flags. One made out of shotgun shells, and the other one's a puzzle that was put together. And behind Matthew, he has some sort of like box frame of Marine veteran stuff. I don't, I don't know what it is. It probably is like your rank or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it nothing, really nothing cool. fancy. Every, every, you know, everybody who gets out of the military has to have like a love me little, you know, shadow box of their stuff. So it's cool. My, it's cool. You earned it, bro. <laughs> All about it. Looks awesome. Right. Uh, I don't have anything that that cool to put in the background. My, my yeah, list of uh, achievements and ranks pretty pretty short. Today we're going to be diving into some cool stuff. We're this is our legislative episode, uh, legislative update episode. So once a month we do an episode where we review uh, recent news from gun law stuff, laws that are being passed, laws that are uh, in committee or being put through the system that have to do with gun law or self defense laws. So we have several of those today, and we have a bonus story that we're going to get to relatively early on in the episode about some nefarious, less than cool things that uh, corporate America might be involved in. Mm-hmm. That's the story. So with that in mind, okay, I can't help it. I got to mention a little quick Marine story. So the other day I'm teaching a class and uh, at the, for this particular class, I was in a conference room at a hotel, you know, the good old hotel conference room story. Beautiful. And I got a room of a handful of people all wearing masks and whatever. And out of nowhere, this hotel guest peeks his head in, sees what we're doing. I'm like holding up a gun and he sees stuff on the wall and he's like, he just yells, Semper Fi! And then he walks off. <laughs> Apparently, it's just assumed at, at large that if you have anything to do with guns, you're a Marine. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I've had, I, I remember kind of a similar thing happened to me when I was a, I was a, a pulley. So like before you go into MEPS and, and go into the Marine Corps and everything, um, and I had a Marine Corps shirt on and I was walking across the, like the parking lot and some dude like screams like Semper Fi. And I was like freaked out because like, I don't, I didn't know the protocol, right? Like I wasn't an actual <laughs> Marine. I just had a Marine Corps shirt on. You didn't flash and, the special handshake or anything? Yeah. And I'm like, what's this guy? Like, I don't know what's going on. But later on, you know, then I realized, you know, it's, it's appropriate just to scream Semper Fi at people that you, that have, you know, any Marine Corps type of memorabilia on them. So in um, my case, have no Marine Corps right, right. at all. <laughs> Just some loose association with guns, and apparently we got to yell Semper Fi at each other. <laughs> I, I thought it would be awkward to respond. Like, what am I supposed to say? Semper Fi back? Like, am I allowed to say that? I don't think sure, I am. Sure, sure. Yeah, you, okay. you can. You can. We'll okay. let you. <laughs> I'll I, I just, you know, if anyone asks, I'll say, well, there's a Marina said I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get into it, guys. Uh, before we do, of course, just a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by our Guardian Conference, guardianconference.com. We've just updated some information on the uh, website at Guardian Conference about ammunition. We've had a lot of people say, "Ah, I'm interested in attending the conference, but I might have to drive a very long distance and or fly to get there. And I don't know if I want to fly with a thousand rounds of ammo. So we've updated information on the website. We've uh, put an address where you could have your ammunition shipped. 
Obviously, don't do that blindly, like contact us and tell us it's coming. Otherwise, it's just a great gift, and we appreciate the ammo. So uh, that's a joke. You can go to the website. You can get more information now about uh, how to ship your ammo in advance of the conference so you don't have to worry about transporting it. And we've updated the conference uh, list of instructors who will be teaching at the conference. So you can go and learn more there. We just, for example, added Todd Fossey, I think is the most recent instructor that's been added. And Todd's going to be doing a lot of uh, combatives uh, training, you know, he, which, of course, is his uh, specialty. So that's going to be really cool. I'm sort of excited. And then I'm also like sort of nervous about it. Like, I don't know if I want to go roll around on a mat <laughs> with Todd Fossey. Like, it's going to get really embarrassing when he like pins me and takes my gun from me and sticks at my face or something. I don't know. <laughs> Pistol whips me. I'm just joking. It's going to be great, guys. Learn more and sign up for the event at guardianconference.com. Uh, we are getting close to increasing the price. Right now, there's some early bird pricing there. And there's two stages, kind of a super early bird and a normal early bird. And we're giving that discount right now because the event is not fully finalized relative to the instructors in the class schedule. So if you take a little bit of a step of leap of faith right now and sign up when not all that stuff is, is finalized, you are going to save some money. So learn more at guardianconference.com. And I'll add that that conference is in part being sponsored by Throom Targets. And we appreciate their support of us and of that event. You can learn more at Throom, T-H-R-O-O-M, Targets dot com there you have it and of course also our sponsor today ready up gear you can learn more about their products at readyupgear.com matthew we've gotten complaints from people that that little introduction of our podcast is too long and they can't listen through it all and they just want us to get to the content um i, I, I didn't think that was that long i was just thinking like i didn't time it but it wasn't too horrible yeah no it wasn't too terrible no right. maybe we can shift it up put one in the middle middle or beginning and one in the middle yeah, maybe. i don't know Give us some um, feedback, guys. Yeah, you can give us the feedback. I mean, we can't do the podcast. We don't get paid for it. So you got to have the sponsor messages. And sponsors like being at the beginning because you guys are more likely to like stick around and hear it when it's at the beginning. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. So the first story today is out of Edmund, Washington. I have no idea where Edmunds, Edmunds Washington is, Matt. It doesn't really matter. And give us the break on this yeah, so basically, uh, this is a Edmonds, Washington. Uh, a, I'm sorry, I think you, either your audio is cutting out or mine. Uh, I don't know, but let's pretend like it didn't happen. We'll keep on plowing ahead. Gotcha. All right. So um, basically, uh, this is an appeals court case uh, out of Edmonds, Washington. Um, so this is a city of Edmonds lost a... Uh, a case back in 2018. Um, it was a storage of firearms case, basically said that uh, the city tries to pass or passed a law that said you must uh, store your firearms. If they're not on you, you're not carrying them um, and you're in your home, you must store them in a specific way and then assign penalties um, monetarily. If somebody were to break in and steal your firearm uh, or use it against somebody else in a crime. And so what happened to us is Washington state has a uh, preemption law, which basically says um, that the cities or jurisdictions can't create laws that are more restrictive than the state uh, law regarding how you store a firearm. And so there was an appeal uh, or a, a, an injunction that was requested and it was it was uh, approved by a judge or, or or affirmed by the judge and said yeah this is this is a violation of um of the um of the law 
And so it went up, they appealed it again to the, to the um, appeals court, state appeals court. And again, um, they ruled that, uh, quote, regardless of its arguable benefits to public safety, uh, it is unambiguously um, preempted by state law and provisions of the initiative 1639, a gun safety measure passed by voters in 2018. So this has been going on for a while, trying to uh, go back and forth and figure it out. But um, the city is intending to, um, to obviously, you know, the, the, the status quo report is we're going to look at all our options and see where we're going to go with this. And if they're going to uh, try to appeal it at a higher level, maybe they will, maybe they won't. There's another court case uh, in Seattle that uh, had similar results. So um, perhaps writings on the wall that these types of things are uh, when you go against preemption law um, aren't really working out well, but I mean, Jacob, you got, you live in a perfect example of where there's a preemption law and it's just not being followed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't federal law supposed to preempt state law? And yet I live in a state where marijuana is legal. So, mm, yeah. I mean, we could look at that lots of different levels and examples, and sometimes it's enforced and sometimes it's not. That's just the nature of the game. But in case, you know, for those who aren't aware, this isn't a huge victory. I mean, it's a, it's a good victory, right? Like, let's not let the city pass more restrictive laws than the state has. Let's enforce the farm. But but I guess bear in mind that the state of Washington, this this firearm, they already have a firearm storage requirement law. So a law that I would consider not cool and not okay and, and arguably not constitutional, they already have one. So the, the local jurisdiction, Edmonds, they were trying to pass one that was even more restrictive, right? That was above and beyond uh, what the state already had in place. So I think that um, the state law is already not cool, but now we got a city trying to go you know, even, even further. At least, at least someone had enough sense to be like, uh, no, you can't do that. So sounds like a win. We'll see if that goes to an appellate court or not. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Let's go to our semi-questionably not legislative update news story. Yeah. This is from Fox News, which is semi-reliable. And it's all about Bank of America. And the the basic story here is Bank of America uh, ran some filter search data to try and identify customers, Bank of America customers, that might have been involved in the hoorah drama at the U.S. Capitol at the beginning of January. And then they pass that data over to the feds, to the FBI, if I'm not mistaken, specifically. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, they were looking for customers uh, who confirmed as transacting either through bank account, debit card, or credit card purchases in Washington, D.C. between January 5th and January 6th. People had made purchases for hotel, Airbnb, uh, et cetera, uh, in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland after January 6th. People who had purchased any weapon or any weapon-related or anything from a weapon-related merchant, which would include a company like ours, between January 7th and their upcoming suspected stay in D.C. in or around Inauguration Day on January 4th. And also people had related airline purchases since January 6th. So they run some data. They try to identify people who fit all of you know these four-ish criteria, come up with a list of consumers and say, hey, these, these could be our people. These, you know, these could be the people that were causing the drama. And they pass that over to the feds so that the feds can investigate. And according to this article on Fox News, 
Uh, Fox News talked to at least one consumer who was on that list and was interviewed by the FBI to see if they did anything you know, naughty, if they were involved in the drama. And, and they were released and not charged. So clearly they were not involved in the naughty drama, uh, assuming it was naughty at all. But that's neither here nor there for, for this conversation. So, Matthew, I got some strong feelings about this, but I'm, I'm going to let you kind of give your, your feelings first. Yeah, I, I mean, he, here's the thing. Like, we, the, the, a lot of times we'll just say, well, like private companies can do whatever they want, right? Like, and to a certain point, yes. Uh, but for me, like, when I'm looking at this, I'm saying, is this, is this what we want companies doing with our personal information, considering that so much is, uh, like electronically goes through, you know, through our, our bank purchases and, and through our cell phones and, and records of what we do and things to be voluntarily giving information over to federal agencies um, without even advising the customer or the consumer saying, hey, we flagged this, you know, these transactions. I mean, here's the thing, like, I get what they're justifying this under is, well, we're look, we're trying to root out domestic terrorism. But for me, that's a really scary thing because if you don't define what domestic terrorism is, or the definition is so broad that it includes, you know, 70 million people, um, then, and, and you start lumping just purchases in a general area at a certain time as somehow, integral in an investigation into domestic terrorism, you, I mean, you can really start destroying people's lives or really um, making them scared and chill people's ability to, to feel confident that they have any sort of privacy uh, with the government, you know, and there, I'm sure there's some people that are listening are like, well, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't care if the, if Bank America turns over my stuff, they're going to see me buying ice cream cones and whatever. But that's, that's, I think that's irrelevant. I, I don't think, you know, because right now they're just targeting, you know, gun stores, right? Like if you bought a, a morale patch from 511, all of, you know, that's a gun store, right? Like they're, they sell gun parts or whatever. Um, what if, I mean, this, we always talk about slippery slopes. I mean, this can expect, expand to anything that the government doesn't like. And if today it's guns, maybe a new administration comes in and says, we don't want people that have purchased, I don't know, whatever, you know, you want to say a right wing ideology is right. Like, so it's not, I, I don't think it's so much what they're targeting. I think it's the, the, the fact that the federal government is doing this, um, is kind of acting in conjunction with, um, private companies, if, if, if a company wants to provide information, that's fine. Or if they're subpoenaed to provide that information, you know, they have to under law or, but um, I just, I, I, I just doesn't feel right. And the, the, the search terms seem so broad of what they were turning over. It just seemed uh, overly broad to me. So that's my concern. Yeah, not cool. Um, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. And even if I was, I'd have to go like read some terms of service that people agree to when they do business with Bank of America. But generally speaking, most banks and credit card companies do have terms of service that allow them to do a lot of things with your data. Um, handing that over to law enforcement, I don't, I don't know if that is, would be part of that or not. Like that's completely over my head. Um, what I do know is just because they can, they don't have to, mm -hmm. right? That they, that's still their choice. Unless they are given a subpoena, some sort of court order, court order 
they don't have to turn over anyone's data, even if you even if you agreed to allow them to do so. So whether or not what they did was legal, no idea. Whether or not what they did was ethical, I would call BS. Like no way. Even 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 the Silicon Valley left leaning, you know, wing nuts of Silicon Valley, those companies, even them, they are very protective of privacy. Like it it takes a court order to get Facebook or Google to give away anyone's data. Like they are not letting you touch that. Um, but Bank of America, apparently, all you gotta do is ask. Like, hey, can you check for <laughs> customers that meet this criteria? That'd be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, my two cents is whether or not it's legal or not, I have no idea. But what I do know is that it's still a choice the company has. The corporation can choose to volunteer the information or they can choose to say, no, give us a court order and then we'll then we'll comply. Right. And that's the difference maker here. I think that we're, we have to be aware that the, this is a danger that is going to come more and more in our industry. I'll give you one other example and then we'll move on. PayPal. Uh, our, we accept PayPal on concealcarry.com. Okay, you can go to concealcarry.com. When you're at checkout, you can pay with a credit card directly or you can pay with PayPal. But if you pay with PayPal, the way PayPal is set up, and a lot of people like PayPal, by the way, because they, they they don't have to give their credit card info to companies like us, right? They can have all their 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 that private info in one place and then they don't, you know, they feel safer shopping, right? And PayPal will uh, help them in the case that there's some sort of dispute. The product doesn't show up or shows up defective or whatever like that. PayPal gives them a certain amount of protection. So people feel good about that. Um, however, the way PayPal works with e-commerce websites, we have to pass to PayPal every product you're buying. So when you shop on a website like ours or any other website for that matter, and you choose to pay via PayPal, you're giving PayPal permission to see the items in your cart, what you're actually buying and checkout. Uh, that should alarm you. That should be very concerning to you that, they, that they're getting access to that data. It's not a choice we have. Like that's just the way the system works. That's what, if we're going to accept PayPal as a payment method, we have to do that. And by the way, we lose about 20% of our revenue if we don't offer PayPal as a payment method because consumers at large trust it so much that many of them will not buy if we don't offer PayPal as a payment option. So you got to vote with your wallet. You got to choose who you're going to do business with and you got to take cues when they're there and you got to have hard conversations with other companies that you are doing business with and say, Hey, wait a minute, what are you doing with my, with my data? What are you doing with this? And and how, you know, are, are, do you care about pri- This has nothing to do with guns. This has everything to do with privacy. It has everything to do with ethics and morals. So anyway. Yeah. And and I guess to, to tie it into the le- legislative and uh, why I, I thought it was important that we, we at least touch on it is that like sometimes we can get so focused on, well, the Second Amendment's there and there's there's, you know, we have that protection and there's a le- legislative process that goes through and and all these things. And, you know, if we see crazy bills coming up, we can we can stand up and, you know, make our voices heard. But behind the scenes, if we kind of get like a, a singular focus on that, and I'm not saying that that legislatively and grassroots type stuff isn't isn't really important, but we can lose sight of what's going on behind the scenes if we're not understanding that. You know, every time that you get an email like, oh, our terms of services have updated, why don't you click to, to read them? And you're just like, oh, no big deal. And sometimes in those, they might be sort of roundabout sort of legislation, like going around legislation to curtail a freedom or give away some of your 
you know, intellectual, you know, your, your privacy uh, information to somebody else. And if you're not aware of that, um, and this isn't about cancel culture, like I'm not saying anybody who does this, we should boycott them. And, and you know, I'm not saying that I'm just saying, like, um, just pay attention to what's going on. So you can choose wisely who you choose to give your 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 money to or allow to access your your private information. Yeah. I still believe in capitalism. Like I totally sure. believe that if if Bank of America uh if they're in their terms and conditions, customers you know give them permission to do this and if they decide to do it, that that's totally on like cool. Like all, all the way up to them, no problem. But I have the same right to choose to then not bank with Bank of America. Uh that's 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 the system that I believe in. All right, we're going to go to Utah next. And uh, I switched the order up a little bit in our outline, Matthew, but I think sure. it'll be a more logical flow. So Utah, uh, the governor just signed into uh, law, constitutional carrier, permitless carrier, whatever you want to call it. I think it goes into effect on like May 1st or something like that. So right now we're in a period of it's going to be law soon, but it's technically not yet. And we're pretty excited about this. This has come up a lot in Utah. Like I'm talking at least 10 years worth of company uh, of the legislator trying to pass constitutional carry in Utah and on not, not being able to get it through or getting it through, but then having it vetoed by the governor that's happened at least twice that I can remember. So I would strongly encourage uh, us to, to, you know, keep, keep track of these things. Cause in this case, in the, in Utah, you know, persistence paid off. <laughs> if mm-hmm. I, they finally got it through and signed by the governor. So more than a decade in the making. So there's some questions I always ask anytime a state passes constitutional carry. So I'm going to try and answer these questions for our listeners because this might be uh, valuable. First question I always ask is, does it apply to residents and non-residents? Because often a state will pass constitutional carry, or I should say, I shouldn't say often, but it has happened that a state has passed constitutional carry, but it only applied to residents. And in the case of Utah, it does apply both to residents and non-residents. So whether or not you are from there or not, if you are there, you once the law goes into effect, you'll be able to carry concealed without a permit. Another question I always ask is, well, I shouldn't say always, but in the case of Utah, we have to ask is, can it be loaded or not? That sounds weird, but Utah is a very distinct and, and weird definition of the word loaded. You can take a semi-automatic, for example, fully load your magazine, shove the mag into the gun. And as long as you don't rack the slide and put one in the chamber, the gun is unloaded. I know there's ammo in it, but in Utah's defin- legal definition, that gun would be unloaded. And uh, today, in the current climate, before this law passing, a person can carry an unloaded gun, open carry, in Utah. And so that might sound weird until you realize what unloaded means. It just means you got to you know, chamber around when you draw. So this, uh, this new constitutional carry law does clarify that it can be loaded. So both residents and non- non-residents, and the gun can be loaded. So that's the uh, deal from Utah. Anything to add, Matthew? No, no. I mean, I think in one of the other things is like uh, when this kind of stuff comes, well, we can save it for the next, next. uh, Let's go there next. So we got one other state that's that's (laughs) just passed a constitutional carry bill. Matthew, what state is that? Uh, We're talking about Montana. Montana? Montana. Love it. Yeah. Montana. So, uh, House Bill 102, um, basically your constitutional carry removes the requirement for a permit. Um, I liked in uh, in, our, in the article on concealed carry, our, our website, um, uh, Josh quoted the uh, the bill itself, and it said the purpose of sections one through eleven uh, re- 
pertaining to the bill is to enhance the safety of people by expanding their legal ability to provide for their own defense by reducing or eliminating government mandated places where only criminals are armed and where citizens are prevented from exercising their fundamental right to defend themselves and others. I mean, that's, that's why we do this. I mean, that's why we're here, right? That's why we're talking about concealed carry is that essential truth you know, and it, it makes so much sense. Um, but I thought it, it, that was, it was well, well worded in, in the bill. Yeah. Uh, now the Montana law also doesn't, is not in, in effect yet. I'm trying to remember the date. I think it's probably in here somewhere. Oh, June 1st. Um, yep. So Montana permitless carry goes into effect on June 1st uh, for those who are interested. And you can get to the actual bill itself. If you click through uh, from our show notes to that article. So good job, Montana. Um, I thought I'd quickly review the states in this country that have some sort of constitutional carry law in place. And this is, you know, this is a current list. This will not include Utah and Montana since theirs are not in effect yet. But the following states have some form of permitless carry currently. Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Kansas, Kentucky, Maine, Mississippi, Missouri, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Vermont, and West Virginia and Wyoming. And they all have a slightly different flavor and they might have different you know, variations and restrictions, but all of those states have some form of permitless carry in place right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, here's the thing, like when, if you actually break it down, I mean, and, and obviously like, you know, you're an instructor, I'm an instructor, we, we, we make part, part of our money from teaching classes and part of those classes are concealed carry classes. But if you think about it in, in, in reality, you know, especially like uh, I'm in Ohio where we have open carry, which is legal. It only need, requires a permit if you put your shirt over top of it or you cover it up. Right. And so it's like, what really is the permit for? Because I mean, it's, it's the same thing. The same people can carry. It's just, if you put a jacket over it, now you have to pay the government and they have to trade trace or track that you have this, this firearm. It's, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, and I, you know, we can talk about pros and cons of constitutional carry and everything like that. But, um, it's just weird to me that there's so much focus on having a license in order to put a shirt over top of a a tool that otherwise you wouldn't need to have a license for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Our company has been very clear on our stance on this. That is that we support this kind of legislation. We think it's Mm -hmm. good and wise and awesome. Uh, Episode 50 is where we really dived kind of deep into some of our our thoughts and comments on on why that would be. So if any of you think we're nuts or crazy or that people should have to take a class or get a permit or whatever, you can go listen to episode 50. But there's a lot of states where – you don't need one. I just named eight, uh, 17 states. But in addition to those 17, I can name another large list of states where uh, a permit is required, but no class is required to get the permit. Mm-hmm. And so isn't that like, what's the difference? Is, aren't those basically, it, for the sake of the argument of whether or not training should be required, it's the same same difference, right? And later we're going to talk more about Indiana, but Indiana would be exactly. one of those. Georgia would be one of those. Um, and there's there's many others. So it, it it's just... Pennsylvania is another one that comes to my mind. We got, we got to keep that in mind. Like there's no data, you know, all emotion and supposed logic aside, we now have decades of track record with millions of gun owners 
where no data exists to suggest that they're less safe, less able, or that it's chaos in the streets. Mm -hmm. All right. Good times. Uh, One other thing that's relevant to to Montana, we were talking about constitutional carry here, but the reason I I made this one second is because also in the law passed by Montana, which goes into effect on June 1st, they also uh, clarified or strengthened their campus carry laws. And so this, this matters. Um, there's a lot of different flavors of campus carry too, frankly. Um, you know, you have states like Idaho, Utah, Colorado, and Georgia, where just by state law, poof, you can, you can carry on a college campus. You're good to go. No problem. Don't worry. School can't stop you. And then you have a handful of states like Oregon, Texas, Kansas, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Wisconsin, where concealed guns are permitted by state law, but schools can still have some some limitations, right? They can limit where on the school campus, or do you have to have a certain type of holster, or do you, you know, only certain people based on whatever criteria, right? They, they have the degree, they have the ability to, to regulate it to some degree. Um, and then you have states like Montana, Washington, Nevada, California, Arizona, South Dakota, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Delaware, Maryland, West Virginia, Virginia, and Alabama where they basically just leave it up to the schools. Hey, schools can have whatever policy they want. Mm. And this new bill that's been passed in Montana, I've been trying to understand it and read through it, and I'm still not totally savvy on it. What I know is that it uh, re- prevents the universities from restricting gun possession on campus. So I don't know what to, to what degree it does that, if it, if it makes it like in Idaho, Utah, and Colorado, where it's just like, no, you may not restrict anything. Or if it's more like a Texas, Oregon, uh, where it's like you can't say no, but you can still regulate when and how. Um, I, I don't know for Montana what that's going to look like, but either way, it's better than it was effective on June 1st for college campuses in Montana. Yeah. And to your point about like decades of history or, or uh, data, uh, Utah, this other state that we just talked about, they were they were the first state for campus that had campus carry. And they started that in 2004. And I mean, I don't recall hearing of any campus shootings or mass shootings in, in Utah schools or a, a rash of like, you know, shootings that happened, bam, right, right when they started allowing it. So like, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, but the fear mongering that goes into like, well, if this law passed, you know, every single person on campus is going to be like shooting guns left and right. And you're going to be low crawling the school every day. It just, it, 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 it hasn't bared out in, you know, years and years. And so it's, it's really not based off of any, any factual data. It's more emotional um, Mm -hmm. and ideological. So you mentioned Utah, but I'll just add one little side sidebar, having lived in Utah for some time myself and my dad working for a school district in Utah until he retired. Utah, not only in 2004, did they allow campus carry, but in 2004, they allowed carry on all schools with a permit. So if you are the lunch lady at a elementary school in Utah and you got a concealed carry permit, you can take your gun to work. That's fine. You can keep it on your body in the cafeteria. All good. So not just campus, but I mean, all schools period. So, you know, clearly, like you said, we have a lot of track record now, 16 years in Utah, whatever. All right, let's move on to some uh, proposed laws. So we're, we're moving in now to a section of our podcast where the laws we're going to reference have not been passed. These are laws that are 
uh, out of committee, right? They're either maybe they're through one house and not the other, or currently being debated in one or the other. But the the following laws we're going to review are not laws yet, and and may or may not be, uh, depending on a variety of factors, including how much you may support them if you're in these states. So Matthew, get us kicked off in Arizona. Yeah, Arizona. There's three bills. Just if you're in that area. Um, to, to be aware of House Bill 2840. Um, it talks about uh, storage of firearms in their locked personal vehicle while parked on school grounds. So um, this this is clarifying some of those laws that, you know, say, hey, you, you can't carry on school grounds. You can't have a firearm on school grounds. And then somebody says, well, I'm picking up my kid. I'm in my vehicle. What do I do? You know, am, am I violating the law or I'm going to pick up my kid? Can I lock my vehicle, my my firearm in the vehicle to go pick up the child inside the building and then come back. So these are, um, this, this is a law that would help clarify that. Uh, House Bill um, 2827 uh, prohibits financial institutions from discriminating against firearm businesses, um, anti-gun banks, and their executives. So we talked about um, a, a bunch of times on different podcasts about how banks are not lending to certain uh businesses that they deem, you know, uh, contrary to their moral character, or I, I don't know what you want to call it, but um, if they sell a, a, you know, an ammunition part or a firearm part, a magazine or something like that, then they won't lend to them or they won't process their credit cards. Um, so this would prohibit them from being able to 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 uh, do that based off of arbitrary, you know, rules like that. And then uh, House Bill 2551 expands areas where concealed car- carry permit holders could lawfully conceal um, carry concealed um, to uh, to include certain public establishment and events. And it clarifies um, those types of things where, um, you know, they might uh, there, there might be some uh, ambiguity in the law currently. So good stuff in Arizona. If uh, if you live there, um, you know, support, get, get a hold of your, your congressman and support those bills um, because uh, it, it just clarifies what you can and can't do. And it's, it's really important. Yep. Yep. Those are good ones. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to Arkansas where we are working on passing a stand your ground bill. So some preliminary clarity for those who uh, may not be as clear on the, the terminology. So in this country, you basically got two, two different, versions of uh of law you have duty to retreat and you have stand your ground a duty to retreat is a state where uh, like arkansas currently where if you are safely able to retreat from a threat you are obligated legally to do so before you can use any degree of force in defense of yourself or another and then you have the stand your ground states which as of now matthew and i both live in stand your ground states where you do not have to retreat. Even if you safely could, it's just not legally obligated. It's not required. Though probably always a pretty good idea, uh, but not legally required. So Arkansas, that's not the case. In Arkansas, you do have a duty to retreat before using deadly force, except when unable to do so with complete safety, or if you're LEO, or if you're in your own home. So you know, they do have a they have a castle doctrine law. So this, this bill that's being proposed, which I think is in the set in Arkansas right now, I don't know. The Local Fox website is so horrible. I can't get it. To, okay, here we go. I'm getting somewhere. Senate vote, Senate Bill 24 was passed out of the committee uh, just this last Tuesday. So it, it, if, assuming that this goes through and goes through to the House as well and then gets signed by the governor, it would remove that duty to retreat and it would make Arkansas the 39th 
standard ground state. Uh, you know, more than 75%, three fourths of our states are standard ground states currently. So Matthew, you're, you're in the, the state that just most recently became a standard ground state. Yeah. So that's yep. got to feel good. It's awesome. I, I, and it, it's so important. It, I, I, and we cover this all the time, but I, I, I don't see how standard and, and it's the same fear mongering tactic. Like if you, if you give a state stand your ground, then people are just going to be shooting people and they can, they don't even have justification. You know, they don't need justification. It's, it's just wild West. And it's, it's just, it's not true. It's just not, it's not factually true whatsoever. Well, part of it, I think is just the misuse or misunderstanding of the terminology, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We've, people have associated this idea of stand your ground conceptual with the idea that you can't be legally liable for defending yourself no matter what. And that's obviously not the case. All stand your ground really does is remove the otherwise existing duty to retreat. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and so, yeah, that <laughs> I think that tactically we all want to avoid using force if we can avoid it, but we also don't want this dumb little simple thing to be the thing that lands us in prison when we otherwise lawfully were defending ourselves. It mm-hmm. just seems like a weird requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are curious, current duty to retreat states include Arkansas, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, New Jersey, New York, North Dakota, Rhode Island, and debatably Wyoming. That one's kind of awkward on the fence thing going on. So good job, Arkansas. We hope you get there. Absolutely. What's going on in Vermont, Matthew? All right. So let me pull up. Uh, Vermont, this is a public hearing. Um, uh, actually, it's ha- it happened today. So I don't know the timing and everything like that, but it was going on today, a public hearing. Um, this is talking about um, uh, Senate Bill 30, which bans firearms in public buildings, hospitals, and daycare centers. Um, and so this has been going on. Um, it, it's It's gone uh, it, I believe it passed the House or Senate. Uh, no, it passed the House, and now the Senate is or the Senate Judiciary Committee passed it out, and now it's being uh, voted on um, in the Senate. So uh, this was this is obviously like if you see like the I think as concealed carry licenses and 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 laws, we see them getting more um, fleshed out. You know, because concealed carry, I think, you know, you could you're good with history, Jacob, but like it had concealed carry as as a as a concept hasn't been around for decade, you know, 50 years. So as it's as it's moving across the country, I think we're seeing like different states address issues in their the wording of the laws that were ambiguous in leaving gun carriers, you know, that are otherwise doing everything legal. Um like in some sort of gray area where they're, they're unsure of, can I statutorily cross this line? Right. And where is the line? We don't really understand it. And why is the line there and not over here? And so I think um, one of the themes I'm kind of seeing recently is laws that are, are, or or legislation that's aimed to better, uh, you know, trans translate what the intent of the law is rather than leaving these, these ambiguous, uh, you know, gray areas for gun owners to fall into. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, in this in this case, this is legislation we don't want to support. We'd rather see legislation that, that clarifies this in the positive, right? That this right. is a bill that's attempting to prohibit guns in some public places where today they're believed to be allowed. Right. Um, Vermont's a really, I mean, we were talking about some really interesting things about Utah. Utah has some very specific things that no other state has going on. Vermont also has a claim to fame that no other state has going on. Vermont is the only state in this country with no concealed carry permitting system. There is no permit you could acquire no matter what you attempt to do in Vermont. Vermont has just never made it illegal to have a concealed carry gun. They were the first constitutional carry state, not because they proactively passed such a law, but because they never passed a law that said you couldn't have a concealed gun. And so Vermont is the original model for permitless carry that we now see enacted in Utah and Montana. And so it's it's really unique that way. Not It's no longer unique as being constitutional carry, but it's still unique in that it's the only state that has no permitting. That you couldn't get a permit. There is no permit. And so I think that with that context in mind, um, knowing their history and where they've come from, you now have a very different mix-up of the legislature there. And you have some people who are saying, wait a minute. You know, we probably can't propose magazine limitations in our state. That's, you know, the, the public won't won't tolerate that. But maybe we can convince the public that we don't want all these gun owners taking guns into daycares or hospitals. You know, maybe maybe that is our current like limit of what what our constituents are willing to you know, deal with, with what's palatable. Uh, so this is the deal. Like in every state, they're going to reach for whatever they think they can reach for. And in Vermont, the current political climate is it's time to start making some strides forward in the eyes of the the anti-gunners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're trying to clarify where they want, you know, because Vermont is kind of open in, in the respect, like you said, Jacob, is they're trying to like carve out like specific, hey, you can't carry here. Um, and, and try to take that away little by little. So, um, yeah, you, you're you're exactly right. And it's a, it's weird. Vermont is, you know, kind of like a, a, a gun haven, but it's not real. You know what I mean? It's like legally there's no, nothing restricting it, but there are definitely like little carve outs that are, are um, different than in, in other states. So it, it is a unique, unique uh, thing. And that's a, that's a crazy thing about this, the 50 states, right? Like there's yep. different laws in every state and, uh, whether it's good or bad, I, you know, you can argue states should be able to pass individual laws, right? Like there was one comment, uh, Eddie Chase, uh, in the in the comments about what happened to national carry law that we were promised. And this is kind of like that thing where, you know, one one of the benefits of not having a national, uh, con, you know, universal concealed carry permit that's given by the federal government is the federal government can't dictate to the states what they can and can't do as far as permitting and where you can carry and where you can't. Um, on the other hand, it would be nice if it was kind of more, you know, uniform. Uh, uniform, right? Like where I don't go to across the state line and all of a sudden it's completely different. So uh, it's one of the unique things about our, our, you know, our country, but um, yeah. Speaking of unique, let's <laughs> talk next about the state that has the highest rate of concealed carry permits per capita among the adult population, Indiana, Indiana, where almost 15% of adults in the state have a concealed carry permit. So in Indiana, there is an attempt to uh, a proposal to have a constitutional carry permitless carry, you know, whatever you want to call it law uh, passed similar to what's been passed now in Utah and Montana, but it's getting some pushback and uh, I think I don't understand <laughs> in, in Indiana. The debate is entirely different. 
very different than it was in Utah or Montana or in Nebraska or in Oklahoma. It's different because in, in states like Utah, Montana, that just passed constitutional carry, there the debate is, wait a minute, we can't let people carry around guns that haven't gotten any training. In Indiana, that argument cannot be made because while currently a permit is required, no training is required to get the permit. You just walk into the sheriff's office and give them money and pass a background check. And here's your permit, sir. And so you can't make that argument there, right? Like the, the, the only argument that can be made and, and it's being made in Indiana now is well, we need the money. <laughs> the permitting system provides a bunch of cash for the state. And we don't want to let go of all the money. We want the money. And Matthew, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like, okay, so here, uh, let, let me see the circular logic. So we have a guaranteed right. We have to pay the government to exercise that right. And then if we say we don't want to pay the government, they say, well, you, you have to because that's how we get our money. It's like, wait a second. So you give us a right, make us pay for it. And then you say we have to pay. We can't stop paying because then you can't run. It's 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 bizarre. And in in I I it, it, I can make some really off the wall comments, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to stick to the facts and say, like, this is ridiculous. Um, if if that's your argument, then you have a really bad argument. Uh, the, the here here's a quote from uh, in the article. The, the headline of the article says Indiana House votes to eliminate license to carry handguns. Great. That, that That's factual. Why police oppose the bill? Well, this is why. OK, obviously the, the funding part, but this is the quote. This will cause less peace. Um, <laughs> our people will be less safe. Gore is a captain with the Marion County Sheriff's Office. This is this is your argument. This will cause less peace. Our people are less safe. How? Like how? Where where is the the data that you're basing this 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 opinion on? I mean, because it is absolutely an opinion. It's not based off of any reality. And like so so you're telling us that if you don't have a permit, um, if you don't pay the government money, they don't need trained. But if you don't pay the government money, somehow somehow that people will be less safe. No, I think what he's saying is maybe they'll be less safe because they don't their budget will be cut. Well. In in a way, maybe not, because the bill doesn't eliminate concealed carry licensing uh, like across the board. It just says you you, you don't need you don't need um, to 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 get one, right? So what they're gonna what they're gonna do is say we'll still provide licenses if you want to get a, a permit so you can have reciprocity with other states. Great, and you can pay the fees for that. But and I, I don't think that government should be funding their police departments. If this is funding their police departments in critical levels. Uh, they need to look at other funding. You can't charge somebody for a right and say this is how this is how we keep you safe by charging you for your rights. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's sucky that if this law passes, that you know, currently the five point three million dollars a year in profit from the concealed carry permitting program that that currently goes toward training law enforcement officers will will be decreased. Like it's not going to go away. Still some people are going to get permits because they travel and want reciprocity and all that jazz. So, so that, you know, it's going to it's certainly, they're not going to get $5.3 million a year. If this gets passed, it's going to, they're going to get less than that to, to some degree. Right. Mm -hmm. However, I do think it's deplorable that our budgeting system sometimes is set up in a way where we rob Peter to pay Paul. Mm -hmm. Like whose idea was it 
that we should charge so much money for a permit to begin with that it was profitable at all. It should right. never have been profitable. Okay. The, the state of Utah, going back to, I, I, I don't know why we're talking about Utah so much. Utah's law is very interesting. Do you know, do you know how Utah determines how much to charge for the permit application fee? The statute very specifically says that this, this government, the, the Bureau of Criminal Identification, BCI, will charge the fee that is necessary to process the application and nothing more. Mm-hmm. So this is why Utah's permit application fee keeps changing because every couple of years they reevaluate and say, you know, what? we could do it for less, right? If we bought this new system or we can have this employee do X or whatever they determine, they say, you know, it, 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 you know, we can do it for less. So Utah's law dictates that they cannot turn a profit on processing permits to, to carry a concealed gun. And Nevada, apparently the state turns a $5.3 million annual profit. That's a problem. That's a huge, gross problem. Now, I, 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 I do believe that the government should not be in debt, that they should pay for their own crap, and you know, taxes are you know have to exist even though they're generally really crappy and the money is you know poorly you know managed. But in theory, I think the concept of taxes is appropriate. But when we when we're turning a, a five million dollar profit from one department and we're using that money for something unrelated. I don't, I don't get that at all. So shocker that the captain from the whatever <laughs> county sheriff's department thinks this law is a bad idea. Yeah, $5.3 million less than you're currently getting, bad idea. But in what way it makes people less safe, I'm struggling to understand. Only thing we're doing is saying, instead of showing up the sheriff's office and giving us money, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> but that's right. it. That's it, the only change. And, and the crazy thing is, is that like, okay, so you're, to your point, there's four, it says only 4% of the 12, 120,000 handgun license uh, were denied. Okay. So it, that's in 2020, 4%. Um, so couldn't this, I mean, you could argue that this, this getting, making an income off of, or getting tax revenue off of licensing could unduly tie you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the government to give permits to people that shouldn't have them. Right. Because if, if, if I'm saying my argument is we need the money, then I may have more of an incentive to give permits to people just to get the money because we need the money. Because if we don't get the money, you will be less safe. Right. So it's like, this could be argued on both sides that it just, it, it can't be tied. This is why you can't tie you know, this, this money, this type of money to, um, law enforcement, because it is just, it, 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 it puts up, up, a, a, a too much of a, a, an incentive to put your thumb on the scale one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Do cops need training? Yes. Should they find their $5.3 million somewhere else? Yes. Does that mean that taxes might have to go up? Sure. Uh, there's probably plenty of other waste that could be eliminated, but that's that's you know not for us to say, I guess. Right. Uh, calming down. <laughs> calming down. All right, let's go to New York. Just as we were getting calm and I'm talking myself off a ledge, let's go to New York. What's going on in New York, Matthew? Yeah, so New York, no surprise. Um, Senate Democratic majority today advanced legislation. Um to strengthen penalties and regulation of unfinished receivers and guns without serial numbers, known as, you guessed it, ghost guns. 
Um, so basically, there's a series of legislation that has been passed by the Senate. And the reason why we we don't include, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in committees and presented and things like that, but we're only covering stuff that's been passed out of the committee and is now, you know, in, in the chambers to be to be voted on, right? Like, because there's a lot of crazy stuff that, that never makes it that far. Um, but once the crazy stuff gets to a certain level, then we kind of say, hey, this should be on the radar. Um, but so one of them is talking about unfinished receivers. And this is, um, you know, basically your 80 percent lowers um, unfinished frame receiver as a crime of first, second or third degree. Um, that's a sale uh, of an unfinished frame or receiver. Um, the second one, Senate Bill 14, um, will criminalize possession of guns without serial numbers known as ghost guns. Um, so if you do have a serial, you know, an unserialized 80 percent lower, you put it you put it together yourself um, and, you know, somebody you use it to defend yourself or some you, you're stopped in a law enforcement stop and there's no serial number. It would be a crime. Right. Um, uh, so unless you are a licensed gunsmith, um, you can't sell the ghost gun uh, prohibits the sale of ghost guns entirely. OK, um, requires anyone manufacturing or assembling a firearm in New York to be a licensed gunsmith. Um, also requires New York gunsmiths to serialize any firearms, rifle, shotguns and unfinished firearm receivers. They manufacture, assemble um, and then obviously register those uh, not otherwise covered under federal law with the Division of State Police. Um, so they go in and, and talk about ghost guns and how they're scary and, and all this stuff. Um, they talk about background checks, universal background checks, because obviously without universal background checks, all of this stuff is kind of moot and, and unenforceable. Um, so this, I mean, it's not a surprise, but these types of bills are, are definitely on the radar. And I'm not, I won't be surprised if they, if they pass in New York. I really won't. So unfortunately. It seems likely. I don't. I'm no expert on New York state law, uh, to be frank. Not nearly much as I am in some of these other states we've discussed today. But I, I think that there's, if, if I understand correctly, there's already some anti-ghost gun esque laws there. But mm -hmm. that these new proposals are kind of trying to strengthen it, make it more clear, get rid of maybe potential loopholes that people might currently be using, um, really make it black and white, right? Like any existence of a non-serialized firearm or partially completed you know, receiver is a no-go unless you're a gunsmith or manufacturer, then if you are either of those two things, if it ever leaves your possession, it better be serialized. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of the the gist of what I get from this. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost guns. Well it's it's, it's all about the agenda. The agenda is we want to be able to have firearm registration. Right. We want to know what every gun is and who has it. We want to know what every gun that you have. And in order to achieve that core objective, a couple things have to happen. One, every every firearm has to have a serial number. Uh, two, we have to uh, have a database of those serial numbers and who has them. And third, we have to require background checks on transfers of firearms. Those three things are required for gun registration. If you only do some of them, but not all three, you're going to fall short. And so you're going to continue to see pushes for all three of those things across all 50 states by the anti-gunners because all three are necessary in order to get them where they want to be. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we yeah, can it, over that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate. I mean, and, and you know, not to, not to belabor the point or anything like that, but like the, these, 
what we've been talking about, like slippery slope type things, we always talk about it, but like it, it is definitely a small erosion of little things of saying, okay, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So let's just, you know, give into this. And, and I'm not saying that I'm against like, you know, uh, 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 any, any sort of, you know, uh, law, like, uh, you know, Ohio has a, you know, concealed carry permit law. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. Right. Like, um, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to die on that hill trying to overturn the concealed carry law. Right. But the, the more we give in on these types of things, the more regulation is, is possible down the road. So those three things are very like, we can't, we can't allow that to happen because once that happens, it's over. I, I think that's, that's kind of the line in the sand, the tipping point where it's like, okay, it's, you're, you will be, you're in, in, in essence, your, your right is, has been taken away. It's, it's now, a, it's not, it's no longer a right. It's a privilege. To in me. order to get a law to be passed at the federal level, you have to have pretty broad support because, because federal, you know, the Congress, U.S. Congress, they don't want to lose power. And so they need enough support from the public to, for them to push something that's going to ensure they don't lose the power they have. Right. So it's a constant balance between do what my party and the people who keep me in power want me to do, but also stay in power. And so you're trying to ride that line all the time. And so we see the battle. The battle always starts at the state level. It always starts at the state level because if we can show enough support for it across the 50 states, then it, it, it leads us to believe that we can pass it at the federal level, mm-hmm. right? Like I live in Colorado. Colorado is the first state to pass the recreational marijuana law. It was crazy style when that was being debated. It was like insane, right? I mean, call, there are people in this country that seems to be the only thing they know about Colorado is that we have <laughs> marijuana. Like I travel like, oh, do you smoke weed? You're from Colorado, <laughs> right? Like that's how, it, that's how big of a thing this was in national news. The concept that a state would, would pass a recreational marijuana law, you know, in the face of the federal law. But today, like that, that, that ball is rolling down the hill. Um, more and more states are passing that law. It's not a big deal anymore. We don't even report on it. No one cares. Um, how long do you think it's going to be before marijuana is, is, is permitted you know, federally? before that federal law changes. It's not that far off because once you get enough states on board, you have the support you need at the base to go past it at a federal level. This is not, I'm not debating over the merits of recreational marijuana. I really has nothing to do with this. I'm trying to use that as an example of what we see here. If you get enough states to pass universal background checks, if you get enough states to have magazine capacity limitations, if you get enough states to do these things that we're talking about, then it becomes palatable then the argument at the federal level is no longer like, check out this crazy, insane thing that's unproven. (laughs) The argument becomes, wait, like 40, 30, 25, however many states already do this. Um, We think it's a good idea for the whole country. And that's a much easier sell. And it keeps you in power when you have that kind of support at the base. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a momentum thing. Think about like all the states now, and I'm not saying it's all due to um, several states passing, but constitutional carry and stand your ground law. As more and more states come on, the argument becomes more, there's more weight behind it, right? right. Like it goes both it, ways. Exactly. So, you know, we have to, we have to kind of support those states and, 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 and I get it, man. Like I, I, I left California and I'm always thinking, man, thank God I'm, I'm out of there because I couldn't live under those, the, the, some of those laws. And, but we can't always like just turn our back and say, well, 
you know, I, I'm leaving, you know, or they voted for it. So they deserve it. I mean, to a certain point. Yeah. If you continue to vote for the same people, you're going to get the same type of legislation. But um, we I think there's a there's a component of, of education and, and reasoning that we have to we we don't do a good job. I think as far as education broadly or reaching out to people of different persuasions uh, ideologically or, or politically in, in explaining why these laws are bad. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right. We've been ranting for a while. I can keep going. <laughs> I have other thoughts in my head, but I think we've hit about that hour mark. And so we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up today. Guys, this is episode 483. Before we started recording today, Matthew and I were talking about um, the data suggests that the majority of you listening to this have not listened to all 483 episodes, which is not necessarily bad. However, uh, you should note that we see this as a continuation of a topic about the laws, uh, the regulations, the tactics, and the skills surrounding concealed carry and defensive shooting. And we hope that if you are newer to our podcast, whatever that might be, that you would consider going back and listening to older episodes where we discuss other topics and that you might find value in doing that. You can always just you know read a headline, uh, the title of a, of a given episode, and decide if you want to listen to it or not. But if you picked us up in the last 100 or 200 episodes and you've never considered going back and looking at old stuff, I, I would strongly encourage you to do that as I think there's a lot of good content there. Though, though certainly we're smarter and wiser, I think, I hope, than we were uh, in February 2016 when we launched this podcast. Sure. If you haven't already, please consider giving us a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. Uh, and please make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate all of you for all that you're doing. And we appreciate you taking your time, your valuable time to listen to us uh, jibber jabber about this stuff. Uh, we, we find it valuable enough to take our time to do it. And we hope you do too. Please consider supporting our business and our sponsors, consultcare.com, our business where we sell a large number of products. We provide a, lo- a large amount of content and tools. And of course, today's sponsors, our own event, Gu- the Guardian Conference, which will be held in September, uh, which is brought to you in part by Thrim Targets, as well as Ready Up Gear, our sponsor. The, you can find all of their amazing products at readyupgear.com. Thank you for tagging along today. We need to pick a prize winner for this week's giveaway. For if you're not aware, every single week we give away a prize to one lucky podcast listener. Uh, you do need to... Uh, sign up for that giveaway every single week. It is a revolving door. We dump all the entrants uh, each week. We start from scratch. You can always sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. All one word, no spaces. And we appreciate everyone who does that. Signing up for the giveaway will also add you to our email list where we send out a once a week digest with the latest episodes from all the podcasts in our network. Matthew, today we're giving away the palm pepper spray. That's correct, sir. All right, so we're going to pull a winner. Uh, I'll just quickly disclaim that if you live in a state like New York where we're not allowed to ship pepper spray, then we'll have to give you a cash equivalent or a different prize. But let's do this thing, Matthew. Do 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 do. Drum roll, sound effect here. The winner is Ronald. Ronald, you are the winner. Uh, I will email you. Just make sure you check your spam folders and everything. If your name's Ronald and if you uh, were one of the ones that entered in. And next week, we'll be giving away a big stick T-shirt, a concealed carry big stick T-shirt. Yeah, it's a sweet shirt. It's our top line T-shirt. It's got a great quote on it from Theodore Roosevelt. So check that out and make sure you're entered to win at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. <laughs>